0: Once again, good morning to you. Hope and pray that this Lord's Day may be something that will build up our faith in the Lord Jesus and that we might be reminded of some sacred truths. Of course, we look forward to gathering around the Lord's table here in just a bit and remembering all that the Lord is about, especially His sacrifice in our behalf and the glorious resurrection that uh, He encountered. Each year in our country, people send over 2 billion Christmas cards. 2 billion. This doesn't include what is sent over email. Separately, we as a nation, we send over 500 million e cards. But physically, we send over 2 billion. Christmas cards. I happen to think that's great. We here at the congregation, we have a wonderful card-sending ministry. That sounds simple, but our ladies put a lot of time, it takes a lot of time, thought, energy and effort and expense to do all that card sending that is done. And that's very, very much appreciated and it's very, very helpful. We're going to be calling upon our ladies here in the next few weeks to even go further in their card sending. But this morning, I want us to take some lessons from an envelope. Lessons from an Envelope. There are some similarities to being a Christian and thinking about uh, an envelope. So I want us to notice these together by way of hoping to instruct one another, let God instruct us through His Word, and also to encourage uh, one another. In the first place, An envelope with the stamp bears an image. The envelope with the stamp on it bears a certain image. This one here, the stamp has the image of the American flag, as as we often have had on our stamp. Sometimes the stamp will have an image of a, a famous historical person. Over in other countries, they often have the image of the king or queen on the stamp of their envelope. But the envelope bears an image and so do we. We are to bear the image of Jesus Christ. Paul mentions this in Romans 8 and verse 29 where he simply is saying that God's ultimate ideal is that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. Be conformed to the image of His Son. Before we get to that though, we need to remember that all of us, everybody walking around, has been made in the image of God. It's a wonderful thing. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, We are made male and female. We are made in the image and likeness of God. Over in James 3, verses 9 and 10, we read that that we are to treat one another kindly because each is made after the similitude of God. That's the old King James word there. The similitude of God. Over in Acts 17, 29, Paul reminds the the people in Athens, that we are all the offspring of God. So we are made in His likeness. And being made in the likeness of God brings to every person about four gifts, four different gifts that we all have been endowed with. And let's just notice those for a second. First, think about the gift of self-awareness or self-examination. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, That we are to examine ourselves, to make sure that we are indeed in the faith, to make sure that we are indeed walking according to God's truth. One thing that we do, according to 1 Corinthians 11, 26 through uh, 30, one thing we do when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper is we examine ourselves uh, in, in lieu of and in view of all that the Lord has done for us, we examine ourselves. And so that's what we do at worship, especially at, uh, at the Lord's uh, communion time. And so God has given us that ability, okay, uh, unlike the animals, okay? unlike any other creation, we are made in His likeness and we have this ability. You know, speaking of that, uh, we're not just a few or several steps up from the slime as, as taught uh, through evolution, rather... Uh, we are one step down from the angels according to the Bible. Both Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2 says we have been made a little lower than the angels. So we didn't come up from slime but we are made by God in His image and His likeness just a little lower than the angels. And by that and through that process we have the tremendous ability to look at ourselves. Think about it. We're able to to step back from our lives, we're able to read the gospel, read God's word, and step back from our lives. And we're able to make comparisons and say, okay, here's what God wants out of me. Here is what I am doing. I need to step back in now and make the necessary corrections according to what he has said. We're able, we have the gift of self-awareness, self, self-examination. We also have the gift of conscience. The Bible speaks of having a good conscience, 1 Timothy 1 in verse 5. Uh, there's a. Statement. About David. In the Old Testament. I think it's 1 Samuel 24. In verse 5. Along those lines. Where. you know David had cut off. He had been in this cave. And Saul was hunting him. Uh, going after him. And Saul didn't know David was in the deeper part of the cave. And Saul stopped by there. And, and unbeknownst to Saul. David cut off a part of. Of Saul's uh, outer garment, and but David's heart smote him. It said, okay. now to just a normal person walking around who had uh, been pursued and and uh, by by King Saul, uh, that person would have just taken the advantage of just getting his enemy and and having." Uh, Revenge on his enemy right then. But David, he knew that Saul had been put in as king by God. He he is God's anointed. And David was not going to kill him. But David even felt bad about taking a piece of his robe. And when he did that, it says his heart smote him. That's our conscience. That's what I was getting at. That's our conscience. When we do something or say something that we know we shouldn't say, then our heart will will, sm- will smack at us. Okay? Uh, it will strike us. Right? And we, we might say something and then later we say, I wish I hadn't said it that way. I wish I hadn't used those words. And you, won't see, you won't see a, a dog doing that. Okay? Have you ever known a dog going off to the side saying, I wish I hadn't barked that loud. I shouldn't have been barking. I shouldn't have been barking at that time of the night. Dogs don't do that. They just do and they don't, and they do and they don't. But God has made us in His image. So we have the gift of self-examination. We have the gift of conscience. We also have the gift of will. You know, Jesus says in John 7, verse 17, If any man wills to do his will, that's a gift of desire. That's a gift of thirst. Jesus said, Blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5, verse 6. We have that gift of thirst, of, of desire, of going after, of, of drive, inner drive. And God, we have these gifts because God has placed them uh, within us. Every human being has these gifts. no, not, not, not everybody uses these gifts to go after God, but that's why God gave us these gifts. Okay. And then there's the gift of imagination. And that is... Uh, Once we have the desire, once our conscience has struck us, once we have studied out what God wants us to do, and we have that desire, and we have examined ourselves, then we create a way, we find a way, we go ahead, we follow through on what our conscience has told us we ought to do. It's a a follow through. We have that imagination. Now, the reason we bring this up is because if we're going to bear the image of Christ, then we've got to use the gifts that God has given us to do that. Now, all of these little gifts are illustrated in that great story of the prodigal son. You remember, the prodigal son went away from his father and the father represents really ultimately God, the father, and and the prodigal son represents us, the sinner. Well, Luke 15 verse 17 says, the the prodigal, he, he finally came to himself. See, His gift of self-awareness there. He came to himself. He began to say to himself, how many of of my father's hired servants back home have bread enough and to spare, and here I am, I am perishing with hunger. So he's using his gift of self-awareness. And when he does go home, he says to his father, he says, you know, I have sinned. Against you and heaven I have sinned. So he had his gift of conscience going on there. And then, of course, his gift of both desire and imagination, he figured out what he was going to do. He said, I'm, here's why I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, I have sinned. Make me as one of your servants. And that's exactly what he did. And we are to use these same gifts in combination with the gospel of Jesus. And this will lead us to be walking with Jesus. This, this will lead us into a relationship with the Lord, think about those on the day of Pentecost, they were listening to Peter's preaching. They were pricked in the heart, Acts 2 and 37. They were pricked in the heart. They were cut to the heart, you see? And it caused them to stop and examine themselves. They had been thinking one way about Jesus, and Peter comes along and says, Here, here's, "Here's what actually is about Jesus." The death of Jesus was the determinate counsel of God. It was part of God's long-standing plan. And so they were pricked in the heart, and then they had a desire. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And then they were told, repent and be baptized. And that's what they did, and the Lord added them into His church on that very day. And once we use these gifts that God has given us, then we start bearing the image of Christ. The first thing about the envelope is that it bears a certain image. A few other passages about bearing the image of Christ. You know, Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, notice, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. In Philippians 1 and verse 20, Paul said, here's how it is with me. He said, right now, as it always has been, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death, it don't matter. Christ is going to be magnified. He's going to be clearly seen in my body and in my life. And that's just the way it was with Paul, and that's exactly how it must be with us. So we must ask ourselves, in the things that I say every day and in the things that I do every day, am I becoming more and more conformed to His image or not? And we must think about that uh, very seriously. In Galatians 4.19, Paul said that he labored intensely, almost like a, lady, a, a young lady being in labor uh, about to have a baby. Paul said, I, I'm in travail. I'm, I labor intensely in order for you, those of you who are Christians in Galatia, in order for you that Christ might be formed in you, that Christ might be obvious in you. Now, they have been walking well. If you look at Galatians 5 and verse 7, Paul said, You were running well. Now, what does hinder, who hinder who's hindering you now? From obeying the gospel, you were doing so well. If you back up in Galatians four down to about uh, verse fifteen, Paul says, "Why have I become your enemy?" Am I have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? There was one time where the majority of those that Paul's talking to there in the area of Galatia, they would have given their lives for him when he was among them working. They would they would have plucked out their own eyes for him. But now something has changed. They, they, they begin to go back into their old ways. They begin to uh, show allegiance to the old law of Moses that has been nailed to the cross. And, and think they were growing weaker in the faith instead of stronger. And Paul said, I'm going to continue to labor and travail and to work intentionally until Christ is formed in you once again. And so an envelope bears a certain image. In the second place, an envelope has a certain destination. An envelope has a certain destination. When we put the address on the envelope, return address, then there's a certain destination in mind. It may go from here to Birmingham to Mobile. It may go from here to Birmingham to to, uh, Fulton, Mississippi. Uh, it, It may go here and there, but it has a certain destination. And of course, our destination is and always will be heaven. That's our drive. That's our drive, is heaven. Heaven for us personally, heaven, for everybody that we know, heaven is our drive. It's our destination. Life is much like a, a taking a route. It, it's like a road. It's a journey. It's a path that we take. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, that there are two choices concerning this path that we take. There is the the broad way which leads to destruction and many enter in there. But he says also we need to think seriously about entering into the narrow gate. This straightened way, this narrow way leads to life, but there are few who find this way. The majority of the people That's why I've got the word consensus up here on the monitor. The majority of the people choose the broad way, the easy way, the way that they hear, the sound bites that they hear. They just go with that instead of studying the Scriptures uh, for themselves. Those who choose the broad way are very confused. They're they're confused either because they've just been careless about it, Or they've been listening to the wrong source. They haven't been looking at God and His Word carefully. Or someone has deceived them and continues to deceive them. But for some reason or another, they have chosen the broad way, and that's the most confusing way. There's a passage about confusion over in uh, James 3 and verse 16. Paul says, Brother James says, he says, Where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Anyone who has envy or strife or ambition or a lust for power or any of those little characteristics, they are looking at the wrong standard. They're they're not listening to the right source and thereby they become very confused. And every evil work follows that. The book of Judges really ends in confusion. In those days, if you look at Judges 21 and verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. And you remember the cycle in the book of Judges, how that they would sin and go after other gods, and then God would punish them, and then they would cry out to God, and God would send a deliverer in there like Gideon and so forth. He would send someone to deliver them, and then for a while they'd be okay, and then they would go right back into their sin, just a recycling of their sin, all throughout the book of Judges, it was, the people were very confused. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay, that's the broad way. Okay. Doing right in your own eyes is the broad way. That's the easy way. Okay. That's the path of, of least resistance. Okay. But now the book of Judges begins with compromise. And it ends with confusion. Chapter 1 in the book of Judges talks about how that the people of God, when they came in to possess the land, they didn't drive out the Canaanites completely. And more than just one pocket, more than just one tribe, it happened over and over again. Yeah, they conquered them, but they didn't drive them out completely. And God noted that and kept that in His mind. You see that in Judges chapter 1 mentioned quite often. Folks, if we are going to choose the narrow way, if we're going to arrive at our destination in heaven, we cannot compromise, no, not one iota. There can be no compromise. Even if it seems small, there can be no compromise. Even if the compromise seems to bring more peace, or if it seems to bring more people, still... We're getting nowhere with God. Because if God says it, then we must adhere to it. There can be no compromise if we're going to arrive at our destination. Just like an envelope has a certain destination, God has something in mind for us. And that is, He wants us to be in heaven. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, Paul clearly says, The Lord would have all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord wants us there in heaven. He's preparing a place for us now. Now, in Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon mentions the conclusion. Solomon had been searching for a long time. Solomon knew there was some road out there that he needed to take. But he kept going the wrong way. He kept choosing the wrong path. And if you listen to Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said he'd try this and that was a vexation of his spirit. He'd try something else and that's just a striving after the wind. Think about all the things that Solomon tried before he finally found peace. He tried tried wine. He tried women. He tried wealth. He tried human wisdom. He tried work. He threw himself into his work. He just built, built, and built with all the wealth that he had. He just kept creating things and building, building, building gardens, building vineyards. None of that brought him what he was looking for. Finally, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, that's the favorite part of everybody's sermon, right? Peter, uh, Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion. Okay. Let's <laughs> perks people up. Right, Brother Larry? Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of fear God and keep His commandments. This is is what it's about. This is the whole of man. So God has clearly shown us that we've got the truth. We cannot compromise with the truth. He has clearly shown us that the majority way, the consensus is not going to get us to heaven. We need to listen to the wisdom of Solomon as well. In the third place, On an envelope, we've got to get the name and the details right. We've got to get the name and the details right. Have you ever received someone else's mail? Sometimes that's the error of the mail carrier, but sometimes it's also the error of the one who did the sending. Have you ever addressed, addressed an envelope to someone, but then you put the someone else's note in the envelope. If you're sending cards, have you ever addressed an envelope and then you put another person's card in that wrong? And that's happened before. Have you ever wrote a person's name down, put the stamp on the envelope, put the return address, and then you said, "Oh, I want to make sure that the address is the, the address is right." So you leave the envelope laying there. And you go check to make sure that the address is right. But then you get distracted. And you never get back to the envelope. It ends up getting mailed without an address on it at all. That's never happened at your house, has it? We've got to make sure we get the name and the details right. Of course, the name is Jesus. We, we talk to our pew packers about J-E-S-U-S. He's the king of the jungle. He's the king of the sea. He's the king in the universe, and he's the king of me. We introduce Jesus to them, but later on our hope and prayer is that they'll learn about the gospel. Peter talked about this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no other person. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Someone has said there are about 15 words to know for salvation. I didn't say, remember these 15 words and you'll be saved. But I did say, there are 15 words you can know to be saved. In one word, salvation is Jesus. In two words, salvation is trust and obey. In three words, salvation is death, burial, and resurrection. In four words, salvation is God's grace, man's faith. In five words, salvation is hear, believe, repent, confess, baptism. Add those up, about 15 words. Just think if a person studied those 15 words with the appropriate Scripture and understanding behind those 15 words, then a person can find himself in Christ and receiving salvation. Why don't you try that sometime? Go up to somebody and say, "Can I, I've got 15 words I want to share with you. Just 15 words. Would you have time to just sit down with your Bible and look at these 15 words? Okay. Jesus, trust and obey, death, burial, and resurrection, God's grace, man's faith, hear, believe, repent, confess, uh, baptism. You've got to make sure we get the name right. In the fourth place, what's on the inside of the envelope is more important than what's on the outside always. Have you ever received an envelope that had nothing in it? It had been accidentally maybe ripped open and the contents had fallen out. What's on the inside is ultimately what's important. You may be receiving a, a car title in the mail, You might be receiving a check in the mail. You might be receiving a special card or a special note from someone in the mail. You may be receiving a number of important items in the mail. What's inside is, of course, most important. The soul is more important than the body. Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. He says, For which cause we faint not, Though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is renewed day by day. Notice that our outward man is perishing. The the real meaning there is our outward man is running down. It is running, running down. And the older we get, the more we see that just right before our eyes. Just look in the mirror. And then when you look in the mirror, you say, well, I can't see as well. And then you can't hear as well. And then you can't move as well. And then you've got injuries you can't explain. And on and on it goes. We are running down. But, notice this. He says, but our inward man can be, if we have the gospel in our lives, our inward man can be renewed day by day. And that's the Lord's instruction to us. Day by day we ought to have better Bible knowledge. Day by day, we ought to learn to be more patient. Day by day, we ought to have more and more victory over temptation. Day by day, we ought to have more and more compassion so that our last days ought to be our best days. The last days on, our, on the earth ought to be our very best days for Christ because by that time, we are now experienced. By that time, we have been renewing the inward man for quite some time. We ought to be full of compassion. We ought to be full of outreach. We ought to be full of love. The older we get, the the better soul winners we we, we ought to be. That's why Paul said, "For, For this cause, we do not think... Who would ever give up if we are renewing the inner person by prayer and devotion and worship and especially study of the Scripture. If we are renewing the inner person, then we ought to be. The, our be, our best days are yet to come. Ecclesiastes seven verse one. I'm not real sure about Ecclesiastes because some of those passages are just kind of out there. And and Solomon, are you talking about the time when you were in wickedness? Or are you talking to, Are you giving a real good piece of advice here? Sometimes that's not just real clear. So you just see what you think about Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, where it says, you know, the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. Is is this point being made? The point is true, that our best day, our last days on earth ought to be our very best days. Just check out Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1 along those lines. And finally, an envelope must be properly sealed. It must be properly sealed contents will fall out. That's the last thing you do before you mail it you make sure it's properly sealed. The Lord intends to seal us and He does if we obey His gospel. If you look right there in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says that in becoming a Christian we hear the word of the truth, the gospel, and then that leads us to believe, truly, truly believe, obedient belief, and then... The Lord seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Over in Ephesians 4.30, He says, Don't (coughs) grieve the Holy Spirit uh, because He is the one who has sealed you for a future day of redemption. The Lord gives us Himself when we obey us. It's basically the same thing that uh, Peter says in Acts 2.38, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord brings Himself into our lives when we submit to Him. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. He is close by. When we are baptized for remission of sins, the Lord comes in very near to us. He's not been in us before, but now He is near and dear to us. This, according to Ephesians 1.14, is a a guarantee. This, This occurrence of God coming into our lives, this is a guarantee. It is a pledge of a future with God. Now, if you love being a Christian right now, you're going to really love it when you get to heaven. If you love walking with God right now, you're going to truly love being in heaven because there we will experience a presence of God unlike we've been able to do here, even though we're following His Word here. His His presence... Well, let John talk about it. 1 John 3 and verse 2. He says, Brethren, it's not clear yet what we shall be, but we know that when when He comes, when He's manifested, then... Uh, we shall be like Him, and we will see Him even as He is. Now, then, we will see God even as He is. But now, the Lord in His promise has promised to be with us. He's close by. He's taking care of us. He's watching over us. And so it's got to be properly sealed. Now, we have a part in that. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't violate what the... The Spirit has come and written down for us in His Word. We've got to stick with Him. We've got to be faithful to Him. We've got to keep following His Word. And by by that, we'll be proper, like an envelope, we'll be properly sealed. Well, I'm way beyond time. But I wanted us to see these comparisons between the envelope and being a Christian. And hopefully it has encouraged us, motivated us, hopefully we can... We can look into it further and see how much God wants us uh, to be like Him. You know, envelopes come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. There's a big one here, and there's really small ones you can send, and medium-sized ones. Jesus once said to his disciples, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And the Lord is sending us, like an envelope is sent, the Lord is sending us. And we bear a very important message and image, the message of Jesus, the image of Jesus. No matter what our size is, no matter what our situation in life is, we can fulfill God's mission that He has in store for us. Even though in comparison, these envelopes, you know, how does an envelope compare to an auditorium in size? How does an envelope compare... To a building? How does the envelope compare to a parking lot? Very small in size, but huge in impact. Huge. How many of you have received a note in the mail that seemed to be aimed at your heart at the right time? When you opened it and you read those words, you thought this is almost a godsend because this is. This is exactly what I needed to hear. How much more can we do for people than that? When we, as bearers of God's image, and bearers of the cross of Jesus, and carriers of the message of God, how much more good can we do in the lives of people? As we consider these words, and many others like them, it could be that, This can help us look at our own stance before God. Think about how well are you bearing the image of Christ? When people look at us and they do and they will, do they automatically think about Jesus? Do they they see Jesus? You know, Paul said no matter what was happening in his life, people were going to see Christ magnified, no doubt about it, in Paul's life. Okay? Nobody would come up to Paul and say, are you a Christian? Do, do you go to church? I know. That, would, that would be a silly question to Paul. There was no doubt about it. So maybe that thought can help us to examine ourselves. Whatever your need may be, won't you make your response known right now as we stand together and as we